Got a call early this morning from uh, a text from my son Chuck, who's a pastor in Williamson, and his his their number five child, Route Ranger, is in the hospital with pneumonia today, and our grandson and Lois went to help today. So she said to me, "Would you ask the people to pray for him?" So I know you have a lot of stuff on your heart too, but if you pray for my grandson Route that he would get better, I'd appreciate that. Let me just stop now and pray. Lord, I pray for all who are here today with loved ones that need you and heavy hearts or burdens, and we take our burden to you. Pray for little Route Ranger that you would heal him and help mom as she ministers to him, Cecilia, and I pray for Chuck as he preaches and Lois as she cares for the other children. And uh, I, I do pray that you would help us to, to resort to you with our burdens and with our heartaches and with our fears and with our needs. You're such a wonderful God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So there's a story behind that song that we just sang. It's kind of a sweet story. Pastor Leo and I, a couple of times, have gone to a conference together that we both enjoy. I think we enjoy the food. Maybe I enjoy the food more than he does. And, and uh, we both enjoy the preaching, and uh, we both enjoy the music a lot. Uh, just beautiful music. And that old hymn, that old gospel song, was done there in that special arrangement that I just love. We both just love saying just like that, that little acapella piece in it and all of that, even the little arrangement. And, and we loved it. And, and I, I sent a video of it to our music people. And, and uh, I don't know who all was involved in, in that. Actually, you were probably involved in James and Diana. And whoever did that, they reproduced that exact thing for us to enjoy. And that, and that just touched my heart so much. The first time I did it, I asked them, they, they, tugged it, they plugged it in such a good place there today. Thank you for uh, your ministry and music and song. Thank you for leading us, James and Ashley and others on the platform here. My goodness, that does our souls good, doesn't it? So um, I got this word from my daughter. She's kind of burdened about her little boy who sometimes will come to her and say, I pray, but God doesn't answer my prayers. And she'll, he'll come, he's a very analytical little fella. He says, I, you tell me there's a God, but I can't see him. And so I don't know if true or not, he says. And so we talked about that as he's developing his little faith. To his room uh, a day or two ago and didn't come out for a long time and there had been a storm and the power was out and and he then he they said it was going to be 12 hours or sometime tomorrow that they expected the power to be restored and he was real quiet and his mommy couldn't find him and finally she went back to his room and his windows were all open she said, what are you doing with the windows open? <laughs> that better be a phone call from God right there. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. We've all made that mistake. Anyway, the windows were open. She said, what, uh, what were you doing with the windows open? And he said, I, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I think you'll like it. She said, well, you can trust me. Tell me. He said, well, you know, I was watching that little video about Daniel. 
And Daniel went and prayed in the window. He bowed down to God and he prayed in the window. He said, so I went and I prayed in the window that God would bring the power back on. And 10 minutes later, the power came on, which is kind of cool. So my daughter sent me a picture of the front door of the house and a little note. This is Aiden, and he's always writing. When he's with us, he's just scribbling, writing notes all the time. He's Mr. Note Writer guy. And he had taken a piece of paper, and he wrote, Aiden loves God. And he taped it to the, to the door. So there you are, a, a Daniel story that's inspiring faith in others. And this is what we hope in all these weeks that we've spent in this wonderful, amazing book of Daniel. Somebody said, how, how long are you going to be in Daniel? I said, well, the people already quit, but I have two more weeks. And, uh, but prove me wrong. Show, show you're interested. Prove me wrong. We have this message, Lord willing, and then chapter 12 uh, next week, Lord willing. And then we will have completed this pass through this amazing and fascinating book of Daniel. The book is amazing. The book, in, in it, just for the stories alone that inspire faith, is amazing. But then the prophecies are just over the top. And then how they're arranged, it is one of the most amazing pieces of writing that I have ever seen. Of course, Daniel was a man who is an exemplary man, and he was filled with the Spirit. And even people who didn't know the Lord knew that Daniel was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's just the way it's like, you know, the one in whom the Spirit of the Holy Gods dwells. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was one of those holy men of God Peter talked about, who was moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit and wrote the book of Daniel inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is the book that we have been studying. God the Holy Spirit moved on Daniel to write the book of Daniel to encourage the people of God when they were in a very dark and hopeless feeling captivity to inspire them that God is in control of men and of nations, even turning evil to his good purposes. Are you paying attention today? That they would put their hope in God even when they had to endure great hardship. And because of the testimony of Daniel, we have little boys praying by the open window. And we should follow that example. So what I want to do today is I want to look in Daniel chapter 11. If you are sharp and you are paying attention, you know that we taught about Daniel chapter 11 verses 1 through 35 in a thematic way last week. And this week we teach Daniel chapter 11 verses 36 to 45. 1 through 35 last week, 36 to 45, the, the rest of Daniel chapter 11, because Bible scholars agree something changes between 35 and 36. Something very significant. This does what the scriptures do from time to time, and this is true in ancient literature would do this from time to time. It skips from the, from the, pr the present at the time or, or the near future at the time for Daniel a near, there's a near referent in verses 1 through 35 to a distant end time referent in verses 36 through the end of the chapter. So there's a gap of time between, so what we're going to do between 35 and 36, what we're going to do is I want to do this in four movements. And notes are online at BethelJackson.org. If I lose you and your brain requires some order, you can always look at that 
and uh, but but don't surf Instagram while I'm preaching, please. But but you can look at that, or you can look at that later. But uh, let me give you a little flyover what was what's going to happen. We'll compare the appointed time with the time of the end. We'll compare the first chunk in eleven and the second chunk. We'll do it briefly to prove why would a person suggest that there's a gap between and it's, it's pretty it's it's uh, I'll, I'll show you five good reasons. There are a lot more, but in that first chunk, I'll show you five. Then we're going to notice how the Antichrist is described, because the person described is in, in, this, in this text today is mentioned a hundred times elsewhere in Scripture with different names at different times. And when you collate all that together, it's quite a fascinating portrait of a, of a, of a real person that will come in the future, will surface, will rise. That's the second thing. We'll go, we'll go right to the text and we'll notice how the Antichrist is described so this is one of those Bible texts that talks about Antichrist and Armageddon and, and all of that. So pretty interesting stuff. The third way that we'll deal with this then is we'll compare Christ with the Antichrist. And then obviously we'll challenge you to, again in your loyalty to Christ. Let's jump back to the beginning here and compare the appointed time repeatedly in this passage. It uses the phrase in the appointed time or when the time that God appointed, when God decided it was going to happen, this is what happened. This was true in the past. This will still be true in the future. This is true in Daniel's life. Listen carefully. This is true in your life too. There are times appointed by God for things. If you didn't get anything in Daniel, get that. God raises up nations and he works in nations, even, even nations that are in rebellion against him. And God works in the lives of common people appointed times. But then at the end of this, it talks about the end time and the time of the end. So we're going to compare those. They're, they're different. The change comes between 35 and 36. The description after 36 of the end times and the Antichrist, it would look like this fellow they were talking about, the last of the kings was Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and it would look, you would think that it was continuing to talk about him. The literature would look like it's continuing to talk about him. But the things that start happening in verse 36 can possibly be Antiochus Epiphanes because it doesn't match anymore. Before that, to verse 35, all the historic details, if you remember, 135 historic details that worked themselves out in, in history after Daniel wrote them down, hundreds of years after Daniel wrote them down. Scholars agree that to compare history and compare Daniel in chapter 11. But when you get to 36, that's not true anymore. And it's obviously talking about something that will happen in the future. Antiochus Epiphanes, number, here are four or five reasons. One reason, Antiochus Epiphanes didn't do the things that are described after verse 36. So they, he did do some of the things described before, but not after. He did, for instance, honor his own gods. And it's going to say that this mysterious king didn't honor any gods. Second, Antiochus was the king of the north, but the king mentioned in verse 36 and following opposed, was opposed by both the king of the north and the king of the south, or Syria and Egypt. Third, that the type, anti-type relationship between Antiochus and the Antichrist has been established by Daniel earlier in the book. In other words, if you remember, as we were studying through the book, chapter 7, this, is it, this idea is introduced. And it's emphasized in chapter 8. So, so in 7 and 8, this, this uh, literary type of the future Antichrist in Antiochus has already been established by the author. Fourth, I can spend more time showing you a number of reasons to understand this section of Daniel 11 to be the future, future to us. 
But let me just save time by telling you two very powerful reasons. Jesus and Paul. So if I told you that Jesus referred to this passage as yet future, that would be a convincing argument. You would say, okay, even though it doesn't look like that would be future, it looks like a continuation of the same narrative, but it must not be because Jesus referred to that part as yet future in the Olivet Discourse. In 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, Paul refers to this part as yet future. So you have a couple strong witnesses there. So hopefully I'm not losing yet. I'm just saying what we're going to look at today is describing a person who's going to surface in the future yet. Danny Aiken wrote, Paul uses Daniel 11.36 in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 when talking about the end time antichrist. He calls him the man of lawlessness. Sinclair Ferguson notes this perspective. It also it is also consistent with the way in which Jesus seems to have seen the description of Antiochus' activity as a foreshadowing of the future. Jesus speaks of an abomination of desolation that's yet to come. It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, Mark 13, 14. So Daniel 11 divides in two sections. I'm repeating myself here. Antiochus, the type of the coming Antichrist, chapter, 20, chapter 11, verse 20 through 35. But then um, the Antichrist, the final earthly enemy of God and his people, is described in the section we're going to look at today. Verses 36 through 45. So trusted Bible scholars see Daniel 11 as an example of what they call prophetic foreshortening. The best way to describe it is when you look at a mountain, remember this, uh, the mountain peaks of Bible prophecy, when you look off in a mountainscape, it looks like mountains that are really very far apart are right together. And this frequently happened in prophetic literature. They would speak of the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ as if they were right together, but we know they're not because Jesus come in his first advent, and we await his coming in his second coming in his second advent. And so we have an example of that here where the prophet just speaks about the future, but he doesn't necessarily differentiate between what is the near future and what is the far future. Does that make sense? You have an example of that here. And so like two mountain peaks that are far apart from a distance, but look close together in the early part of chapter up to 35, you have a clear point by point correspondence between history and prophecy. And after 36, what's described corresponds with what the rest of the Bible consistently describes as something happening at the end of time before the return of Christ in power and great glory. And so the first chunk is what I would call for the appointed time. And the last chunk, I'm going to call it for the end time as placeholders for us. So there's a gap of undetermined time. If you notice, I just said the same thing five or six times because I was trying to establish that. Let me give you one more argument, which is interesting, how we know this is passage is not about something that happened in the past, but about something that's going to happen in the future. When you get to chapter 12 and you read chapter 12, it's obviously a continuation of chapter 11. Matter of fact, we can do that right now. Look in chapter 12, and it says, at that time, at that time. So chapter 12, chronologically, is a continuation of what happened at the end of 11. So this is a fifth reason that I've given you, including Jesus and Paul, and I've probably established that. Now let's, let's notice how the Antichrist is described in this. It's interesting, and there's a very practical and important reason. We talked today about loyalty, and we're going to get a warning that as the time of the return of Christ approaches, there will be great disloyalty and opportunities for disloyalty to Christ. And at the same time, there'll be great opportunities for fidelity and faithfulness to Christ. 
So that's important. And for reasons that God only knows, all of them, it's important for us to understand what's presented. We're to focus on Christ, not the Antichrist, but the Bible does talk about the Antichrist. I'll give you a little free tip here. Uh, prophetic writer, good, good guy, solid guy, uh, adjunct at Dallas Seminary, pastor in Oklahoma, Mark Hitchcock, wrote a really interesting little book, 101 Frequently Asked Questions About End Times. And he has a chunk in there on the Antichrist where he collates all the 100 references to the Antichrist into, into one kind of Q&A document. If you got a hold of that book and read it, it's, it's, he doesn't do the speculation and the sensationalism. He does serious Bible scholarship. And not everybody, of course, agrees with all of these things, but at least puts forth the case in a good way. So if you want to get a copy of that book, that, it, that would be like for extra credit and for all the smart rats to do. But for, for the rest, for the common man, for us, let's just notice how the Antichrist is described in this passage, because it's this passage that we're dealing with. And I'll tell you about 10 things about him. He will do as he pleases. Verse 36 says, and the king will do as he wills. He has titles, other titles in the Bible, aliases, a.k.a., he, and, and we'll give you them, like the little horn he's called in Daniel 7 and verse 11, the prince who's to come, Daniel 9 and verse 26, the one who makes desolate in Daniel 9 and verse 27. He's called the king who does as he pleases here in this text. In 2 Thessalonians, we already mentioned he's called the man of lawlessness, and also in 2 Thessalonians, he's called the son of destruction. It's from the uh, uh, epistles of John that we cherry-pick the phrase we like to use, the Antichrist. He's the white rider on the white horse in Revelation 6, not to be confused with the rider on the white horse in Revelation 19, proving that Satan likes to counterfeit every good thing about God. And he's the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. So when you gather together all that the Bible says, there's a great deal of ink spilled on this. But he will do as he pleases, according to verse 36. Second, he will deify himself. Notice it says he will exalt himself and magnify himself above every God. So watch for a person then. Actually, I'm not sure those of us who are part of God's church will see this. I'm not sure we'll be here. Some think they will be. If you want to live through the tribulation, it's probably not going to be your call. But uh, Christians arm wrestle about whether we go through the tribulation or whether we're raptured. That's another conversation for another day. But he will de deify himself. He'll, he'll do as he pleases, verse 36. He'll deify himself, exalt himself, magnify himself above every God. He'll blaspheme the one true God, verse 36. He'll speak astonishing things against the God of gods and prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. And there you have it again. What is decreed shall be done. An, another of the myriad references to how God determines things, even in circumstances of evil. And then four, he'll reject all religion. So immediately makes an, initially makes an appeal to religion, but eventually rejects all religion. He, in verse 37, it says, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, or to the, and it's an enigmatic, like mysterious reference um, to the one beloved by women, as translated here in the ESV. We'll talk about that in a minute. He shall not pay attention to any other God, 
and shall magnify himself above all. So in this little chunk, it's talking about his religion and his lack of religion and what he believes in and what he doesn't believe. And in that is that little phrase about the love of women. And some people speculate, well, maybe he's a homosexual. That pastor doesn't necessarily teach that. Or maybe he's celibate. He's not interested in women. It's probably more likely that it's in reference to, to the religion. And what he's referring to is the one who Jewish faithful Hebrew women desired Messiah. And he have no regard for him. This is how Messiah is described in Haggai, desire of all nations, if you remember Haggai 2.7. And probably a Jewish or Hebrew idiom meaning that he'll have no interest in Jesus, the Messiah. Number five, he'll depend on military power and political maneuverings, verse 38. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, the God whom his fathers did not know, shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and costly gifts. Number six, he'll resist other military powers. Verse 39, he'll deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor and shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. So you have him, he's a mover and shaker in military and political things, and he's buying favor with, with, uh, with giving land. There's a person, are you tracking with this? There's a person that will arise in the last days that will be anti-Christ in a unique way and will be very bright and very powerful. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the world is set for this kind of thing. Maybe it's always been, but especially now. Number seven, or am I on six? He'll, he'll resist other military powers. Number seven, he'll defend himself against other nations. Verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack him. But the king of the north will rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships and shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. Again, this leaves us with many questions, but obviously there's just this military, military uh, warfare. Um, and, and you see it in our world today. Why does this country have to attack? You ever wonder that? Why do we have to be at war all the time? Isn't somebody, isn't somebody going to say, let's live at peace? And then uh, number eight, he'll defeat some of his enemies. In verse 41, he'll come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. And these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Number nine, he'll develop great wealth. Obviously, verse 43, He'll become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites will follow in his train. And number 10, it's not a surprising person with this kind of charisma and this kind of political power and this kind of military power will also amass fortunes of money. And number 10, he'll be defeated and no one will come to his aid. And you notice I hurried to this part because it's my favorite. And I think it's the main point here. And that is, understand, this is serious, and Israel is going to have serious opposition for hundreds of years, and Jesus is going to have disloyal, blasphemous forces against him, even to the very end time here at church, here at people. Faithful people need to understand, evil is very real and very present, and, and it's heavy and it's extended, but it does have a shelf life when you get to the end. He pinches his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end and none to help him. 
And if you go to the other places in Scripture that see, that answer the question, how does he come to his end? That's very good reading. That's very good reading in the Scriptures. And so you have, uh, he, he's, uh, he'll come to become the ruler of treasures of gold and silver, verse 43, and all the precious things of Egypt. The Libyans and Cushites shall follow in his train, but news from the east and north will alarm him. He'll go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He'll pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. And it is really interesting to hear Bible scholars kind of arm wrestle about what that, exactly where that is and what that means there. And he'll come to his end with none to help him. So this is the heart of the passage. Hear this. There is much to consider here and much more throughout the Bible. But what is the plain thing here? What is the plain thing? There are those who oppose and who reject and who deny the Lord. There are those who will blaspheme the Lord. There are those who will betray the Lord. There always have been. There always will be. Whatever the particulars are, the plain thing is that God has said prophetically that he will have great, he has no rival, but he has great opposition. And you will be a part of that. You, you'll, you, there are those who oppose, who reject, who deny, who forsake the Lord. There are even those who will willfully rebel against, if you can imagine, God. But according to Daniel, if, you, if you, you're reading the whole book and if you're reading it and it's sitting, you, you wouldn't really miss that there's a kingdom coming that will never end. There's a kingdom coming that will never end. Uh, amen alert. There's a kingdom coming that will never end. There's a king coming who will reign forever. And he will be opposed, but not successfully and not forever. It's important for Christians to get this in. This is why, we're, this is why we did First Peter all year. You notice we kind of did First and Second Peter and Revelation, I mean, Daniel. And, and, that, and that is because we anticipate there is hardship that we are going to have to face. And it shouldn't weaken our faith. It should strengthen our faith to say that's exactly what God's word said would happen. And he would strengthen us to face that hardship and that Jesus ultimately wins. Remember the, remember the, the two-word synopsis of Revelation is? Jesus, Jesus wins. Nike. Uh, the, he's victorious. He's conquers. Now comparing Antichrist with Christ then. Uh, comparing, and by the way, you remember in chapter 2, you had the, the nations represented by the statue. In chapter 7, you had the same nations represented by, remember? Beast, you just didn't want to say it out loud. Beast in chapter 7, statue in chapter 2. In the end of chapter 2, the stone comes out of the mountain cut without hands and, and, become, and smashes the kingdoms of the earth and becomes the mountain that, cover, that fills the whole earth. It's a, clearly a picture of Jesus and his eternal kingdom. And chapter 7, where the kingdoms of humankind are represented by beast. At the end, the one who's familiar with the ancient of days, the son of man comes in the clouds of glory and takes over everything. So, you know, in case you don't get all the details, the big picture cannot be missed. It's that Jesus is going to come forever and bring a kingdom that will never, never end. But there will be a time of opportunity for disloyalty first and an opportunity for loyalty. That's what the church should be hearing today. That's what we should be hearing. We have an opportunity. Now, in, in case you, in, you're wondering, listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. Do you remember the single two-word synopsis of Revelation? Jesus wins. Here's what it looks like. 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Did you catch that? The great Savior. I go to McDonald's on the airport road. There's a kid who works in the give me my coffee and my breakfast sandwich window whose name is Joshua. He said, this morning when I went through, he said to me, don't you love this time of the year? It's such a beautiful time of the year. I said, yeah, he said, have a great day. Joshua. I said, Joshua, you have a great name. You know what your name means, right? It's like, it's like Braveheart. It's like coming, conquering military hero, Joshua. It's the Old Testament Jesus word. This is who Jesus is, Savior. He comes strong. Nobody's going nobody's to oppose him. Nobody's going to defeat him. You would never want to betray him. You would never want to forsake him. You would never want to deny him. You would only want to be loyal and loyal all the days of your life. And by his own strength, you can be. And this is uh, Revelation 19. I saw the great beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who's sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who'd received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword. They came from the mouth of him, sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is Jesus. This is the one. So which one of these do you want to put your money on? That should be obvious. There's a smiting stone, the son of man he's coming to conquer. And there's the Antichrist, but there have always been Antichrist. And we live in a time of growing government control. We live in a time of track and trace technology. We live in a time of cancel culture, cashless society, universal personal identification systems that prophecy preachers used to talk about. We thought they were being crazy, but they weren't. Now, were they? I mean, they might have been crazy, but they were right about that. Uh, the unborn, imagine a, a tiny, defenseless, unborn, tiny little baby. You would think that would stir up in anyone a protective instinct, but they're uh, tiny babies in the safety and comfort of their mothers whom are not safe in Christian America. And there are people that are aggressively, you may have noticed, who are aggressively pitching Go, they're, they're, they're sending you text. They're sending you emails. They're sending you snail mail. They're doing whatever they can to convince you that it's a human right to take the life of another human being. And they say it's not the end times. Well, it's dark time. That's a dark thing. And, the, and then there is the, even, even the hysteria about climate change, which the Bible really doesn't talk much about. Jesus is going to come back, burn the whole thing up, renew the earth with fire, kind of trusting that he's going to take care of everything. But we're supposed to wring our hands all the time about climate change. It's setting the table for political things that are described in the Bible. A person coming along and saying, you know, you notice the quality of world leaders is declining. Have, has anybody else noticed that? You're laughing. Because it's not funny, but it's, it's kind of like that painful laughter. And so then someone really sharp, someone sharper than sharp, smarter than smart, brilliant, comes along and they say, let's have a peace treaty. This is what the Bible says is going to happen. It's going to involve the Middle East. Imagine that. And, and, the, and the nation of Israel, which 
seem to go completely out of existence and then come back into existence. Like, that's interesting. It's just interesting stuff. And, and don't let somebody tell you, because of course, there have been those who were speculative and sensational and irresponsible about the way they taught Bible prophecy. But the Bible is still full of Bible prophecy. And Jesus really is going to come back someday. And he's going to be looking, especially for those who love his appearing. He's going to crown those who love his appearing. I want to be among those who love his appearing. Old timer Christians, you know, the ones that really walk with the Lord, love the Lord. And, and they, they love to talk about Jesus coming back. But, you know, people, their heart grows cold and they want to talk about how to have a more robust 401k with God's blessing. They want to talk about, you know, family relationships, which is fun to talk about. But there's more to talk about than how to have a better marriage and how to be a better parent and, and how to handle your finances better and how to handle stress and kind of therapeutic themes the Bible doesn't really do therapeutic themes. The Bible does. There is a God. His name is Jesus. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. There's a heaven. There's a hell. Sin will be judged. Jesus will forgive your sin. This is the book. Read it. It's in there. And the other stuff, it will help us not to depreciate those other things. Therapy is an important thing. We, we all appreciate that. And, and uh, the Bible is, is, is good for our well-being. Yes, you, you, we, we believe that with, with all our heart. But the bald facts that the Bible teaches are the things that will give a person a living hope. So, just, so we're reading this. So, so just before we go on, let's compare. In, in case there are any who are unconvinced today, let's do a little comparison of the Antichrist and King Jesus. Shall we do that? Okay, the Antichrist in verse 20 is despised. King Jesus is beloved. He's desired. The Antichrist in verse 23 is he's deceitful, but King Jesus is truthful. Uh, the Antichrist hates the Holy Covenant, verse 28, but Jesus loves God's Holy Covenant. The Antichrist desecrates the temple. In verse 31, Jesus, he comes and he cleans, he cleanses the temple. The Antichrist abolishes sacrifices. Jesus made one sacrifice for all, the Antichrist persecutes and murders the people of God, but God, in according to our passage, refines and purifies the people of God. The Antichrist is willful, and Jesus was submissive to his Father God. The Antichrist exalts himself, verse 36, and Jesus humbles himself. The Antichrist magnifies himself as God. Jesus is incarnated as God, is God. And the, 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 as we mentioned, the Antichrist blasphemes God in verse 36, but Jesus always glorified God. And the Antichrist worships the God of war. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And the Antichrist kingdom will come to an end. But Jesus' kingdom never will. So who are you going to be loyal to? Now, here's the challenge. If you didn't get it already, and you're smart, so I'm sure you did. But let me just repeat it because I'll feel good, good about it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. I'm going to be one of those people that still believes Jesus coming back. And living for that kingdom. This world stage is set for those for the rise of the Antichrist. The world will be waiting to welcome someone who's sharp and who promised to solve world problems and calm all of our hysteria and our racial tensions. No one knows who the Antichrist is. It's indoor sport, they say, to pin the tail on the Antichrist. But the Bible says that it is true. There's a wealth of information in the scriptures about it, and so it's important. Cohen. One of my grandsons was with me yesterday and the day before we did a couple of bike rides and we ate some food and had a, had a nice time together. 
We're driving along in the car, and Cohen says to me, Grandpa, why doesn't God make us be good? He said he could do anything. Why does he make people be good? I told Lois that last night. She's laying in bed, kind of going in and out of sleep. And I said, Cohen asked me, why doesn't God make us be good if he can do everything and he's good? She said, what did you say? I said, I'll tell you next week. <laughs> so I will see you next week. No, I'm not done yet. I'm just, I said to Cohen, I said, you know, he wants us to love him from our hearts. That's one reason. He wants, he wants our love. He wants our loyalty. He wants us to choose to love him. And we can. Can you imagine that he's given us that? The world stage is set for an opportunity for you and for me to show loyalty to the living Christ. Let nothing displace him. Let nothing rival him. Never allow anyone or anything to distract you from him. Let nothing rise above your love for him or your loyalty to him. Jesus is fully and finally, will fully and finally one day defeat the darkest evil and he'll spread his love and justice all over the earth and he'll sweep into his kingdom of love and light all who yield to him and repent and believe and follow him and he'll never be defeated and those who trust him will be swept into his great full and final victory and I wouldn't miss that for anything in the world. I had a guy named Lamar. He came to our church and I said to Lamar, let's get coffee sometime, which is code for I want to figure out if you're saved and baptized. <laughs> now you know. So Lamar and I go to Starbucks and I get a placemat and I flip it over and I ask him if I can draw him a picture and I draw him the bridge illustration, which I know you've seen. This is just a simple way to describe the gospel. And Lamar looks at this and he's a little bit older and he looks at it and I remember him going, okay, that is very helpful to me. I have never understood that before. And I'm like, would you like to cross the bridge to God across the cross over here? Yes, I would. He says, yes, I would. And I led Lamar to Christ. It was kind of cool. Well, you know, he started coming to church and, and he brought his wife and there they sat in that pew. And every Sunday he would just listen. And then he got sick and he went to the hospital. And I got a call. He said, would you come and see me? I said, I will. He goes, there's something I really need to talk to you about. It's important. I said, what is that? He said, I want to kind of renew my I want to renew my vows to, to God. Can you do that? Can you renew your vows to God? I'm like, well, yeah, I'll be right over. So I go to the hospital and I said, well, let's do this thing. And he renewed his vows to God. Isn't that sweet? Had a lady that got married right in this church. And before we came in here, she said, can you pray over me while I make a vow to God to be a godly woman. I just want to be a godly woman, she said. Uh, I'm talking out of school just a little bit. She had glitter on her gown. It was kind of cute. She had glitter. I didn't know it until a few weeks later because the glitter didn't leave my office for weeks. It was like, every time I looked, there'd be glitter. And I remember, oh, that's right. I remember her saying, I just want to tell God I love him. I want to tell him I'm serious. I want to tell him I'm following you. I want to get in the window and open it up and tell God all my troubles. Anybody with me on this today? Anybody else would like to renew their vow to God? God, I know there's going to be an antichrist. I know there are antichrists even now. But I love you. And I renew my vow to you. And I re re renew my loyalty to you. As the time of the end comes, 
There are going to be more and more opportunities to be disloyal to Christ, but those same times are also opportunities for us to show our love and our loyalty to him. Stand with me as we're dismissed today. And Joe Sexton, one of our elders, is going to pronounce a blessing over you. And prayer partners are going to come to pray for you. If you have a burden on your heart, and we didn't mention it publicly like I did mine, come forward and the prayer partners will pray with you today. If you'd like to uh, have somebody explain the gospel to you, arrange counseling or, or help or encouragement to you, let us know. Joe, pray for us as we go.